Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Lori. Good morning. It is good to see you guys. We are in uh, week seven today of a series in the book of James. It's called uh, Faith That Works. And if you've missed any of these uh, previous weeks of this series, go back and listen on the podcast, the website. You can watch uh, our sermons on our YouTube channel or on Facebook and, and go catch up there. But we've hit a lot of things. Uh, we've hit things like faith and wisdom and faith and temptation and faith and favoritism. And today is faith and words. And, and here's the reality for our uh, words. We, we use a lot of them. Amen? Uh, NPR recently referenced a study that we use about, about 16,000 words a day, which, get this, equates to about 5.8 million words a year. Like just the average person. And that wasn't counting texts and tweets. And they do count, just so you know. right? We use words perhaps more than ever in history, and they have an impact. I think they have an impact on your own life, on your own head, and your own thinking, the words you use internally to yourself every day when you wake up in the morning. The, the words that you listen to from others, they impact you. But they also impact your friendships, and, and your words impact other people and, and your family, and they impact our, our faith. And so we're going to look at faith and words, and we're going to do that from James 3, verses 1 through 12. And so if you didn't already, grab a Bible, get God's Word in front of you. We want to see how God's words transform our words, so get God's Word in front of you. We're going to look at this together. And if you do take notes, our first point is this. It's that words have Weight. Words have weight. Look at verse 1 with me. James starts out with the weight of words, in particular for people who use them a lot. He says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I love that James makes it personal. Notice he says, we who teach. Like James felt the weight of words as a teacher, someone who used words a lot. Remember, James is Jesus' little brother. He's leading a church in Jerusalem, and he teaches, and he uses words a lot. And I love that he says, hey, I, I do this, and we're going to be judged with greater strictness as teacher, and it's primarily, as we're going to go on to see, because this, of this incredible responsibility, this weight of words. And just so you know, as a teacher, I feel the weight of words. I tried to count it up uh, between preaching on Sundays, leading a small group, leading other studies that we do at the church, and preaching at other churches, and, and I preach at least over, or I speak at least over 100 times a year, like formally from a stage. And then I have family and I have friends that I engage with interpersonally. I speak on top of all that, but specifically as a teacher, I just thought, Man, I speak and I use my words so much, and I feel what James feels, this greater strictness as a teacher. And the reality is, as I look at those hundred plus times where I do it from a stage, there's a lot of regrets that I have. I work really hard to prepare sermons, and every time I'm teaching, if it's a community group or a study or whatever, but the reality is I'm human, right? I'm a pastor, but I'm also a person, and sometimes I say things that I don't mean. Right? And sometimes I say things that aren't in my notes, and sometimes it's the Holy Spirit, it's the most powerful word in the sermon, and sometimes it's Tim, and it's the worst part of the sermon, right? And I have to go back to other people and I have to clarify, or I have to apologize, right? And I feel what James is talking about as a teacher. I felt it last night as I'm preparing a message on words to give to you. 
I felt it as I was trying to, I had the message done, but last night I just spent several hours trying to get the ending right, and I was trying to switch around the words and make sure I had the right words, and I was praying and I was wrestling through the words because I wanted to get it right. Now, you can let me know if I get it right, or God can let me know, more importantly, at the end if I get it right. But, but there's, there's this weight of words, especially for teachers. And so James is going to say, hey, don't go looking to be a teacher. Like, if God's called you to be one, great. But don't go looking for some kind of spotlight because you got some cute stories to tell or because you think you have, like, this special anointing and everybody needs to hear you talk. If God's called you to teach, by all means, do it. Spread the word of God. But don't be running after that, grabbing hold of that, because it's a scary place to be. There's incredible weight with words. That's why passages like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 that talk about who should be leaders and teachers in the church, that's why there's only one competency in those passages. It's able to teach, use words. It's a good thing to have. But everything else is character. That's why it hammers home the character. And specifically, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, what it will say is, hey, you should be faithful to your spouse. You should not be given to drunkenness. But it also says you should not be quarrelsome or quick-tempered with your words. Instead, you should be gentle. Why does Paul in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 give those specifically? Why is James hammering home uh, words and the incredible weight of words specifically with teachers? It's because if you look at our culture, as we look at leaders and teachers and who should be those people, it's not people who are gentle with words, it's people who are provocative with words. Right? As we look at our cultures, look at politicians, as we look at people who we think, man, they're a leader, it's usually the person who's the loudest that's the leader, not the person who's the most gentle. Right? As we look at people in debates, come on, somebody. Like, who won the debate? Who was the best leader? Who was the best teacher? Who was the one who had the most mic drop moments? Who insulted the other candidate? We do this. Our culture says, hey, the loudest is the leader. The most provocative is the leader. The mic drop moment, hey, that's the leader. And God is going to say, no, it's the one who speaks gently, who's not quarrelsome, who's not quick-tempered. There's incredible weight with words, and it starts with, our leaders, with our teachers. Then James transitions. He starts to talk about this great responsibility we all have with our words. Look at verses one through five. Notice the descriptive language he uses about the impact of our words. We already said greater strictness. They affect whole bodies. The impact is so large. Great things. How great And James is is trying to show us, he's trying to paint a picture that words have a powerful impact. But then he's going to give us, remember James is so good with illustrations, the master illustrator. He's going to give us three illustrations of what this looks like. He's going to say, hey, there's a powerful impact of our words, but our words and our tongue, it's actually a small, petite thing giving this powerful impact. Look at it with me. He says, you know, like horses, these big, strong animals, they're controlled by a small bit in the mouth. Ships, these big ships, large ships, are guided by a very small rudder. This giant forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Now, I know some of you are visual learners, so here's a pic of what that could look like with horses. Now, that's my four-year-old daughter, and part of this is just because she's cute. Come on now. Um, That's just uh, the close-up one for sure. But the one on the right, if you can see, this little miniature horse But the miniature horse has a little harness on the what? 
the mouth, right? Now, some of you think, well, Tim, this is a miniature horse. Like, what damage? How powerful is a miniature horse? Let me just tell you, that miniature horse had to stand there like that and not move for an hour. Because it wasn't just my four-year-old daughter on the horse taking pictures. It was every kid in the class. How'd they get that miniature horse, this animal, to stand still while little four-year-olds climb on top of them? Controlled the mouth. That's, that's the picture James is painting for you. We don't think our words amount to much. 16,000 of them a day. I tweet all the time, like, while I'm driving. I text people while I'm driving. I don't even think about what I say. And James knows that, and God's, God knows we take our words so lightly. And he's trying to show you, hey, small, your tongue's small, but it has incredible weight. And so we would all do well, and this is what James is pushing us towards, is to ask this question, to assess our words. Do we see that they have incredible weight? Do we treat them as they have incredible weight? They can, like, move a ship. It's like a small rudder steering a ship. Do we see that? It's like such a small fire that could set a whole forest ablaze, and do you see that with your words? Do you see that as you speak your words to your spouse? Do you see that as you speak your words to your kid or to your friend or to your boss or to your employee? Do you consider the weight of these words? Do you see the the weight of your words as you post online? Here's a convicting question. Ready? Ready? Okay. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, We're all going to be convicted in a moment. When you post, and if somebody were just to scroll through your social media feed, just somebody who didn't even know you and they were to see all these words, would they say, hey, that is a Christian? In other words, that is a Christ-like person because of the words they see on your timeline. Would they say that? Do you consider the weight of the words that you post, that you speak? Do you consider the weight of the words that you listen to? Some of us, if we look in our sphere of influence, our circle, The people that you're listening to, their words all the time, they're just complainers, right? Just the people you surround yourself with at work or your friends or maybe even at church, they're the people who always criticize, and that's feeding your words. Their words are feeding your words. Do you consider the weight of words as you speak them, as you type them, as you listen to them? James is causing us to assess the power, the weight of words in our lives because we don't often assess the weight we should. So he's pointing us to that. Second point is words can can wound. So words have weight. Second point is words can wound. Look at verse 6. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire. He's going to say fire a lot. Get ready. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless, evil full of deadly poison. Tell us how you really feel, James. I mean, you just look at the descriptive words he uses there. He does. He says, fire, fire, fire by hell. And as I read that, I thought, was James sitting in front of a fire? Was it hot outside, James? I mean, why such extreme language to talk about our words? 
And the reality is he uses extreme language because words can be extreme. He's saying in a more vivid way what Proverbs 18.21 says. Proverbs 18.21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we see this, don't we? We saw it vividly this week, a video that went viral of a nine-year-old Australian kid who was bullied with words. Now, some of you may not be online and have seen this, but it's been watched by millions of people. Kid down in Australia, nine years old, has a disability, and and the mom was sick of him being bullied with words and the reaction that caused in him, and she wanted the whole world to see. So she took a video of him, and you can watch this nine-year-old little kid yelling that he wants to kill himself by a knife, nine years old, because of the words people used in his life, in his day. I went on to watch, it was so sad, the the lady, the mom would talk about, hey, he's nine years old now, he's been talking about killing himself since he was six. And it's mainly because of the bullying and the words. And what she's saying is the same thing that Proverbs 18.21 is saying, that death or life, death or life are in the power of words, that words can wound. And again, we often don't think of that. Now, we're thinking about it this week because we saw a viral video because a nine-year-old wants to kill himself, right? And so we're all like, oh, yeah, we should, we should stop bullying. We should think about what we say to people. We should all be kind to people. And lots of people are saying that right now because there's a viral video. But at some point, the viral video will not be viral anymore. And words will still be wounding people. And words will still be bringing death or life. And James is using vivid language to cause us, to remind us, to shock us, to see that truth, that words are like fire, the fire from hell. Because he wants us to see that words can wound. Because we often treat our words lightly. Even in the church, we do this, right? Even for me, I do this as a pastor. I will crack on the big sins. You know, like lust and adultery and murder and and greed and pride. Like, we'll crack on those a lot. But the more respectable sins, like gossip, like lying, like a harsh tone, we don't talk about those as much, do we? We'll crack crack on the big sins, but we don't really talk about the sins of our words. And James is going to call us to see, hey, we got to weigh our words. Are we wounding with our words? Are we being harsh with our words to our kids, to our spouse, to our fellow members in the body of Christ, to the people we engage with online, right? And as I thought about this this week, I had to think about my words. Like, I mean, how do I talk to my family? As much as I studied this text, this text studied me, right? And I had to think about, what am I, I'm not bullying people, and, and I'm not doing those things, but, but how do I talk with my words? Is my wife, is she more closer to Christ because of my words? Come on. It's convicting. Are my kids, do they have a, a bigger picture of Christ, that, that he is gentle and loving? He is truth-filled, but he's, he's loving Do they see more of the love of God because of my loving words? And I had to assess that. And we all need to assess, are our words wounding 
Or are they witnessing? Are our words bringing death or are they bringing life? Have you assessed that? This morning you're here to assess that. And the reality is sometimes we'll just make excuses for our words. But James is going to elevate our words. He's going to say, James 1.26, he's going to say, if we don't know how to use our speech, that our whole religion is worthless. He's going to elevate it. We try to excuse it. Here's what we do as we assess, and maybe what you're doing right now, like, am I a gossiper? Am I a liar? Do I use a harsh tone with my speech? And maybe as you're assessing that, you think, well, I don't bully people. I'm not, like, yelling at people. I'm not going around lying all the time. And you start to excuse it, and James wants to elevate it. And as we say, like, well, hey, I'm not a gossiper. I just like to talk a lot. Come on. I'm not, I'm not a gossiper. I just, I'm extroverted. Like, I'm not, I don't lie. I mean, I just exaggerate a little bit. I'm not harsh, violent, quarrelsome with my words. I'm just a direct person. Like, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. That's just how I am, right? And we'll kind of excuse our words. James is going to elevate our words. If we don't get our words right, our whole, our whole religion is worthless. And so we've got to look at, not excuse, but look at, our words and assess them rightly in light of who God is, in light of his word. Just as much as words can wound, though, they can also bring life. Words can bring death. Words can wound. Let's assess that. But let's also replace those wounding words with witnessing words. That's what scripture calls us to do. We can see it in several places in scripture. I'm just going to give you a few. Proverbs 12.25 says this. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Proverbs 24, 26, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Ephesians 4, 15, we speak the truth in love. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. That words can wound, but they can also bring Life. You see, one amazing thing about that nine-year-old kid in Australia is what happened after the video. All these celebrities, all these athletes in Australia, but across the world, begin to post videos and messages using their words to tell this kid, hey, you should come out. We're going to take you to Disneyland. Hey, you should come out to our, our game. I think I saw the rugby team in Australia. is like he's going to lead them out on the field that week. And they used their words to bring life. And they said things, as I looked at these messages and these words, a lot of these athletes and, and, and celebrities, they weren't Christians, but they were preaching a Christian message to say to the kid, hey, you have more value than you know. You have more dignity and inherent worth than you realize. You're so brave. And what they're preaching is the image of God is on that kid. And I don't even know if they know that scripture. But they were using their words to, to lift up. Listen, those are people that don't know Christ. What about the people who know Christ? What about the people who do know we are made in the image of God? And you know that scripture because you've heard it since you were young and you hear it in church all the time. Christians, let me just tell you, Christians and the church in a political season with bullying, with, with wars at work, with conflicts among, amongst friends, we should be the light and the darkness with our words. 
We should be breathing life, and it should be obvious. One of my prayers this week as I studied this was that this would mark Phoenix Bible Church. We, we talked about this. We prayed about it a year ago at our leadership retreat. We talked about leading with love. And one of our applications was just so simple. It was just, hey, what if leaders in our church, what if just us, what if we told one another all the time we loved each other? And what if that spilled over into a Sunday with somebody who just came on the first time? What if they just heard and they walked away on a Sunday and they went to eat lunch and they experienced a lot of things, worship, preaching, all these things. But what if the one thing, the one mark that they were left with as they left Phoenix Bible Church was... Man, those people say, I love you a lot. Like, I mean, love moves is on the shirts and the website, but they like actually believe it and they express it with their words. And I just pray like, man, what if that marked Phoenix Bible Church? What if we were just a place of edification, honor, and love with our words? What if we led the way in that in our communities? What would that change? How would that change your workplace? How would that change your community, your neighborhood? How would that change the city of Phoenix if we were like that with our words? That's my, my prayer for us. And what if we started today? You see, some of you, you'll speak life with your words, but you'll do that when somebody's already dead. Here's what I mean. Have you ever been to a funeral? Yeah. What are they speaking from stage? Death or life? Life. Hey, this person, they meant so much to me. Hey, this story from the past, I, I, I just, they were such a loving person. And they wait, and we wait till somebody dies to speak life into them. And what does everybody say at a funeral? I wish I would have said it sooner. I wish I would have said it more often. And again, James is using vivid imagery here about fire and the potential for death and wounds with our words because he wants to shock us into starting to preach life, not tomorrow, but today. Not when somebody dies, but when they're alive. And so some of us, we need to go, we need to realize we've, we've wounded people with our words and we're not that, that culture we want to see yet of honor, of edification, of love with our words as a church. And we need to go to somebody else today across the aisle before you leave today and tell them how much you appreciate them. And tell, much, tell them how much you love them. Some of you need to go to your spouse over lunch and just tell them, man, I respect you. Why? What are you talking about? I just, I just want to let you know. I love you. I respect you. I appreciate you. Some of you need to pick up your kids. And the first thing is not just, hey, get in the car. Hey, be quiet. Hey, let's turn on a movie. No, the first thing you need to say is, hey, I just want to let you know I'm proud of you. I love you. You are, you're, hey, I don't know what you learned in, in kids' ministry today, but I just want to let you know you are created in the image of God, and you have inherent dignity, value, and worth. Amen. And don't wait till one day later to say that. Start to practice it. If we want to have a culture like that as a church, if you want to have a family like that, friendships like that, we have to lead the way in practicing that, breathing life with our words. Amen. Last point is words are a window. Look at verse 9. Words are a window. Verse 9 says it this way. With it, with words, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. There's that being made in the image of God. 
Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James is showing us the problem of duplicity in our words. And he's going to give us the key of how our duplicity can be transformed, how all of our words can be transformed. Here it is, verse 11. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Again, James, master illustrator, right? He gives us three pictures, a spring, a tree, and a pond. And he's reminding us that nothing pops up out of nowhere. No, everything has a source. And James, his big brother Jesus, he said the same thing. Right? Two places specifically, Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said it this way, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 15, 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, that words are a window to the heart. And again, as a parent, I thought about this this week, I think I see this most vividly in my life. I have uh, two girls and one boy, and my girls uh, are in dance, they're in theater, uh, my son primarily plays sports. And, and what I've started to notice, and uh, my wife has helped me notice, I'll just be honest. <laughs> what I've started to notice, I'm a lot harder on my son than I am my girls. I'll take my daughter to dance. But you know what? If she doesn't want to dance, she comes out crying like she did yesterday. You know what I do? I hold her. I squeeze her. I tell her how beautiful she is. Like, get out there, girl. Get in your little tutu. That's so cute. Get back here. You're the best dancer in there. My son, when he plays basketball and he doesn't go for the rebound or the ball on the floor, you know what I do? Get that rebound. <laughs> so you better get, get on the floor. The ball's right there. Afterwards on the way home, I'm like, yeah, bud, you did a great job today. You know what? Move without the ball. Go to the hole more. <laughs> and my wife, I'm circling back to this. So sweet and so needed, right? I mean, she just had to tell me, like, basketball season lasts a long time. And she had to tell me, like, halfway through, hey, hey, something's got to change. Basketball or you? <laughs> like, we got to stop playing sports or you got to calm down? Because you ruin our Saturdays. He's seven years old. <laughs> and listen, I had to see, okay, words are a window to the heart. Is, is because my son didn't grab, my son's a, like a decent athlete, like he knows how to shoot and get a rebound. He does fine. He's seven. <laughs> and I had to think about, okay, where is this anger coming from? Why am I not hard on my girls? And it was a window to my heart of I idolize sports. And for some of you that made, it was just so silly. Okay, what's your sin? Let's talk about that. <laughs> right? It's not silly for me. Right? I can idolize sports. And it's not just like being a fan of sports today. Like it goes back to when I was little. And like I didn't get the scholarship. And so now I want my son to get the scholarship. And I'm putting that pressure on him as a seven-year-old boy. Right? And I had to just see like words are a window into my heart. And we all have areas like that. Like why do you get so angry? Why do you get so envious with your words? Why do you gossip so much? Could there be some insecurity in your heart? Could there be some, some undealt with anger in your heart from when you were a kid, from something somebody said to you? Listen, I think we see this again most vividly in an election season with politics. You, you see people use words with politics in person, more likely online, 
you see people use words and they're so divisive. And, and it literally, words about politics and about your candidate versus the other candidate and about this topic versus another topic, and you see words divide families. Amen? Anybody had an awkward family gathering over Christmas? Because you spoke up about politics, a particular topic? Anybody been unfriended on Facebook? Right? Because here's what we do. We often, we destroy a person we don't debate a topic when it comes to politics. And we do that with our words. And let me just tell you, if you find yourself doing that, if you find yourself doing that in particular as we get closer to the election, if you find yourself destroying a person and not just debating a topic and using your words to do that, it might not be the topic or the other person. It might be something in your own heart. It's probably not that. And you would say, no, Tim, you don't understand this topic is so important. You don't understand what this person said. You don't understand. As Christians, we have to fight for this side of the aisle. And I would say to you, is it just that? Or is there something in your heart? What's in your heart? James is giving us these word pictures of, of a spring, of a pond. Because he's saying, hey, everything has a source. And that source with your words it's your heart. And so here's what that means. The solution this morning, if you're convicted like me, the solution this morning for our words is not just be nicer. It's not just try not to be a jerk. Like some of you are thinking that, that's okay, like don't be a jerk for Jesus, right? Don't do that. Some of you are thinking, well, I just need to be nicer online or I just need to be nicer with my spouse or kinder to my kids or my friends or my employees or my employer. And that's okay. That's a good starting point, but it's not the finishing line. The finish line is, what's going on in my heart? That's what needs to be dealt with. And here's the good news about that. You can't fix what's going on in your heart, but Jesus Christ is fully available to fix it. Amen. You look to the living word. Jesus, Scripture says, is the word who became flesh. Scripture says Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the living word. He's also the final word. You look to him and to his words, and he can heal not just your words, but your heart. You see, I just pointed to this sign, this Jesus saves cross that we have, this giant neon Jesus saves cross. And just some backstory on it. If you don't know, we've always had this cross, but it wasn't always neon. And somebody in our church had that idea, and I've got to be honest with you, at first, I, I was resistant to it. Because I was like, well, are there going to be flies, like, buzzing around it? Or It's neon. Like, we're going to put it on the stage. It's going to be neon. Like, I don't know if we should do that. Let me just tell you, it was the best decision we ever made. Right? Because every Sunday, it gives you an unavoidable, literally illuminated reminder of two key truths. Right? Here's the two key truths as you look at this neon sign. Jesus saves, that means, the first truth, we need to be saved. Okay? Our words need saving. If you weren't convicted, just look at the cross. God sent his only begotten son to die because of some of the words he knew you would use. We need saving. And this lit up cross is, is reminding you of that every Sunday, and particularly this Sunday with our words. But it also reminds us the second truth. It reminds us that only Jesus is powerful enough to save, to save our lives, to save our words, to redeem them for his glory, our joy, and the joy of people around us. So I love that we put neon on a cross. 
Because every Sunday, we're reminded, and today, we need to be reminded of that truth. You can't just be nicer and try not to be a jerk. I mean, you can and you should, and that, but that'll fade by tomorrow. Come on. Jesus needs to heal your heart, redeem your, your heart, and whatever is going on that's causing you to speak to your wife that way, and whatever is going on to, to cause you to speak to your employees that way, and whatever is going on to, to cause you to speak to your kid about sports when he's seven that way, something's going on in your heart, and Jesus Christ can heal that, and he can heal, he can heal the source He can heal your heart, and then out of the overflow, the mouth can begin to speak not death, but life. But here's the deal. you got to let him do his work. Here's what you have to do. You don't just go to lunch today. you got to deal with your heart. you got to confess some of those things that you have said to other people, that you have posted, the the words that you have spoken that have torn down, not lifted up. You got to confess them. Here's the deal. You got to confess them before God and those other people that you offended. You got to go to them. And here's why you can do that. This neon cross. Because your identity, because some of you are thinking, Tim, I'm not going to go talk to my spouse today. She'll think I'm weak. I'm not going to go confess to this other person. What if they use that against me? And you're thinking of all these reasons, like my identity is in their approval. My identity is how they see me. And your identity, if you're a Christian, is not in those things. It's in the cross of Christ. It's in a child of God. And because of the cross, because he heals your heart, because he changes your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, You can then go to that person and be freed up and just say, hey, you probably don't even remember this, but I said this, and I'm sorry, and if I hurt you, I'm sorry, and you can be forgiven, and even if they don't forgive you in the moment, or it takes some time, you can walk away saying, hey, as far as it depended on me, made peace with one another, I just did that with my words by the power of the cross. And some of us, man, we've wounded people with our words. And your action step, the way you get dealt with in your heart by Jesus and the cross is you start to respond, you start to confess, you start to repent because of how we've wounded people with our words. And then some of you, on the flip side of that, you've been wounded by words. And maybe some of you, you're, you're thinking about them right now. You can think of the words. You can think of the phrase. Anybody? You can think of the conversation. You can think of the person right now and the weight you carry because of the words they used when you were 6 or 16 or 26 or 36. And you need to realize the power for you to heal, the power for you to forgive that person, whether they come up to you after service or not, or later this week they send you a text or not, the way to, to heal, the way to forgive is also the power of the cross. It's also him impacting your heart. You don't have the power to forgive somebody who wounded you with their words. I hope you feel that today. Some of you are thinking, I don't know if I can forgive. I mean, you don't know what they said. You don't know what they meant by what they said. You don't know how often my spouse dominates me or manipulates me with their words. You don't know how often that boss speaks death into my my day, into my work week. And I would say, I I know you feel too weak to heal, to forgive, because of the wounds that have been caused by words. But that's the point. You are weak, but in your weakness, Christ is strong. 
And he will strengthen you and he will be what enables you to heal from even the most dreadful, wounded words. That's available to you in Christ. That's the good news this morning. So we're going to sing a song. We're going to give you a moment to respond. We need to respond today, amen? Amen. That's why we're here. As we look at the neon cross, it's not just to have some good feelings about, oh, Jesus saves and he can redeem my words and heal me from my words. No, it's to take steps to see that happen today. And so that's what we're going to sing. That's what we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to. One of the the words we're going to sing, these powerful words in this song, says that the love of Jesus is stronger than sin. And as you sing that, I would invite you to sing that as a prayer. The love of Jesus is stronger than words. Than words you, you have used to wound other people, than the words you have been wounded by. The love of Jesus is stronger. So as we sing, sing that out as a prayer as you respond to God today. Father, we thank you for this morning. I do pray now that we would respond, that you would help us just in the inner parts of our soul, in the crevices of our heart, to examine those and to see where we need the cross of Christ and where we need the power of Jesus to heal those areas, that we would confess where we need to confess, not just to you, but to one another, that we would see healing take place, that we would be a church that's marked by life-giving words, by edifying words, by words of honor, by words of love, and that starts with us as individuals, and God, may we take a moment to respond and see you transform our hearts and our words, God, that they might be glorifying to you that the the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart as the psalmist said would be pleasing to you and God I thank you that in the power of Jesus you have the power to to do that you have the power to bring forgiveness and healing and encouragement and life in the midst of our words God may you do that now as we respond when we sing this out as a prayer for you to move as we respond in the name of Jesus Christ we pray Amen.